You are listening to episode number seven of The Love Noteworthy Show. Welcome to The Love Noteworthy Show, the guide to leading your life with passion, purpose, perspective, and prosperity. Each week, we feature entrepreneurs, influencers, game changers, and change makers who provide powerful strategies for creating a remarkable first impression that leaves a lasting impact in your business, career, community, and personal life. So come join us as we transform your mindset and teach you the lessons you want and need to become Love Noteworthy. Welcome back, lovers, to another episode of the Love Note Worthy Show. I'm your host, Reese, and I apologize because I have a bit of cold today. I came home to Victoria and Vancouver for the last few days to visit my family and go to one of my cousin's amazing, beautiful, spectacular weddings. And of course, came down with a cold coming back home from Los Angeles. Uh, it's always that way. But regardless of that, I have a great episode for you today. I, my guest is Tanya Rubin, and she is the founder of Pure Natural Diva and Pure Natural Botanicals. And this is a really great episode for those of you that have a passion project that you are currently working on and are looking to figure out ways how to monetize it or create it or make it into a real business. So Tanya started off creating the Pure Natural Diva blog, which we'll talk about in the episode today, and then eventually transitioned over after she found that there was a need for safe scents in terms of perfumes and body care lines and skincare lines. And we talk about the whole process of how she developed all the products, having no background in it, and made it into a viable business that it is today. So this is a fantastic episode for all of you lovers out there that want to, like I said, start transition your passion project into a real sustainable business. And we also talk a lot about sustainability and environmental responsibility. And so it's a really jam-packed episode today. And I'm really excited for you to listen as we talk to Tanya Rubin from Pure Natural Divas. Welcome back, lovers, to the Love Noteworthy Podcast. I'm your host, Reese, and today we are going to talk about three of my favorite things in life, and that is entrepreneurship, cosmetics, and changing perceptions through education. My guest today is Tanya Rubin, owner of Pure Natural Diva and PND Botanicals. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Tanya. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited for you to be here today, and what I want to do for the listeners is uh, break down a little bit of what we're going to be talking about as well as an introduction to you. So before we start the interview, um, when it comes to beauty products, the effects of the ingredients that they contain can be more than just skin deep. The cosmetics industry uses thousands of synthetic chemicals in its products in everything from lipsticks to lotions to shampoos to perfumes. And while these products may smell good, what's disgusting about them is that many of these substances are also used in things like industrial manufacturing processes, to clean industrial equipment, stabilize pesticides, and grease gears. And I think that we can all agree that an ingredient that effectively scours a garage floor may not be the best choice for a facial cleanser. Now, as a safe sense advocate, Tanya is passionate about educating people on dangers of scent toxins. Since founding the eco-savvy lifestyle site PureNaturalDiva.com, Tanya has become a trusted source in the green lifestyle movement. And her latest endeavor, Pure Natural Diva Botanicals, is a line of botanical perfumes, organic body care, and skin care backed by the Pure Natural Diva reputation. So Tanya, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you started off blogging in all about natural cosmetics and products? 
Well, I came to the natural world in a very unorthodox fashion. Um, I grew up in a very alternative um, upbringing, which may make you think I came to green living naturally, <laughs> but in fact, it's the exact opposite. But by the time I was 15, I was living on my own, and I had already lived in a teepee on an Indian reservation, on a communal dairy farm, on a remote, remote island off the coast of British Columbia, what? and I had gone to over 13 different schools. So once I was living on my own and um, at a young age, I wanted nothing to do with anything that resembled my upbringing. I wanted a quote-unquote normal life, one that looked like, you know, the Brady, well, maybe not the Brady Bunch, but one that looked <laughs> like, you know, the white picket fences and, you know, more Martha Stewart, less um, less alternative. That's that's Martha Stewart was my icon. <laughs> And, uh, and she's still fabulous and, and mm-hmm. still an inspiration to, to me. Um, but that's kind of um, how I got into, you know, or how I rebelled against being green, if you will. What happened to change that was my children. I moved along my conventional merry way, moved to Los Angeles, met my husband, and we had our first child. And... I was like, oh my gosh, my mom was right about so many things. Now what do I do? How do I merge this conventional lifestyle, fabulous lifestyle that I designed and created for myself with this knowledge now that our world is full of so many things that could potentially harm my beautiful young child for life if I don't figure this out somehow. And that's really how Pure Natural Diva started. <laughs> so how long ago did you start blogging? I started blogging in 2009. Okay. And the preamble to that was that I had made this life realization and change and became the mom in my circle of friends who was crazy enough to spend two hours in the sunscreen aisle trying to figure out which one was um, – was going to go home with me in the cart, even though my child was like upset on my hip, I would be like reading the labels. And, um, and so that led to me creating lists of products that my friends were, well, what are you using for sunscreen? And I would send them a list of five sunscreens. And then that became a little list on Facebook. And then someone said, well, you should have a blog. And I was like, what's the blog? (laughs) (laughs) And then it began. (laughs) That's amazing. So when you first started blogging, you must have done a lot of research about kind of the um, chemicals and products that are going into skincare products and body products and cosmetics. Um, Can you tell us some some of the things that you uncovered that our listeners may not know? Well, there's so many ingredients and there's so many elements that it is overwhelming and, and, And looking for each one in particular becomes a real task because they are like microscopically written on the back of the labels Mm because as a product producer, you're trying to get all this information that needs to be on your labels into a little tiny thing on a little tiny container. So it's very challenging um, both as a product creator and as 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 a consumer. The things that I 
tend to do are focus on brand, finding brands that I really trust. Mm, okay. So once I've found a brand and I've researched through their products and, and researched through the ingredients that they do and don't use and why and their green philosophy and that kind of thing, that's kind of part of how I, I create my shortlist, if you will. Okay. And, and then from there, um, as people are going through their makeup bag and wanting to make changes, one of the things I, I always advocate is, is start with like paring down what you're using. Because if you just go from using 20 products to 15 products, you're probably eliminating a whole slew of ingredients just because you're eliminating those options that you may not need. And just by being a little bit more curated in your approach to your beauty, you're going to be safer. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I read somewhere that like um, on average, so that's not even, maybe it's more in LA, I don't know, but, um, (laughs) but like women's skin will absorb like five pounds of makeup per year or something like crazy like that. It's, um, we consume about five pounds of lipstick in our lifetime, I think is, is uh, one that I know for five pounds. Um, and then people don't realize, and it's funny because I actually saw a dermatologist quoted in an article, I want to say it was in Lucky or a magazine of that nature recently, hmm. and the, the dermatologist was like talking about, um, I think it was sunscreens, and saying, oh, you don't need to be worried about anything you put on your skin. Your skin's the most effective barrier out there, and so you know they're basically mocking the idea that that there should be any cause for concern that anything we put on our skin topically would go into our body because our skin is a barrier. Yeah. And I just had to, I laughed out loud when I read it. This was a, a dermatologist being quoted in a major, major publication and and not acknowledging that there's medicines that doctors prescribe to go on your skin so they absorb into your body. I know. It's like we have pores to sweat and, like, absorb things for a reason. Right. And it right. takes, on average, about an hour for things to absorb into your body. There are some things that will sit on top, but a good amount and... The scariest thing is we don't know what sits on top and what gets absorbed because it's not tested for it. Mm-hmm. So to have, but it is scary to have like a medical community, especially in the dermatology community, which is what is looked at so closely with um, skincare, quoted that way. Yeah, that's craziness I don't I don't even know what to say about it Um, I was really like I was kind of stunned speechless I was like really 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 fascinating (laughs) (laughs) so going back to your blog um did you how did you build your following online like was it organic or do you have any tips for new bloggers on how they can build their audience to spread their message I mean the First and foremost key is is jumping into community. And so I definitely tapped into the community. In particular, my community was the mom blogging community, mm-hmm. even though I was a green blogger. Somehow my own gravitational pull was towards the mom blogging community. And 
that took place in different blogger groups and then that migrated into Facebook groups as they became more popular. So there's like backroom Facebook groups that we participated in mm-hmm. and supporting one another and and just in the social spheres, getting yourself out there, sharing other people's content, working together, collaborating. I mean, many of the basic principles that you would use in any business. Um, Then in social, you dig a little deeper because you actually, on platforms like Twitter and and such, I very actively went through and, and followed and engaged with people that had the same interest and the same topics and, and were involved in the same area that Pure Natural Diva lived. Hmm. So I would search out natural and organic and yoga and wellness and, and the topics that someone who is going to be concerned about their health and well-being is more likely to be talking about on those platforms and then follow those people and engage in dialogues with those people. Hmm. Genius. Yeah. That's smart. It's like you have to definitely, I don't know, I think a lot of people think that if they just promote it on their channels, like their own stuff, then it's going to get more followers. And yes, that's true. But at the same time, like you just said, it's really important to engage on other people's blogs and kind of attract people over to where your website is. Yes. Well, and right now we're working on growing our Instagram page, and that's definitely part of the strategy on the Instagram page is taking advantage of those hashtags Mm -hmm. and searching through those hashtags and finding people who are talking about natural beauty, who are talking about vegan beauty, who are talking about organic beauty, and engaging with them, liking their pictures, following them so that they hopefully in turn will go, oh, who's this, and click over and, and like the look of what Pure Natural Diva is doing and follow us there as well. Yeah, exactly. It's genius. So it's all very, I mean, it's not all that complicated, but it is time-consuming and painstaking. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) It's not rocket science, but you do have to do it. Yeah, and I mean, um, I guess this can lead into my next question for you, but it's, it's great to have a following on a blog, but... When it's not monetized, it doesn't necessarily mean as much. But once you start um, monetizing the blog or starting your own company, then having those follower bases that are loyal and are engaged is a lot more important. So how did you kind of make that shift from becoming or being a blogger, one of the top like natural beauty bloggers in the blogosphere, so to speak, um, and then actually like pushing to start your own line of botanical products. Well, you hit on the uh, on a key area of that and that is that I I was I've been a successful blogger in the green and and the natural beauty space. But that doesn't necessarily I wasn't a mega big and <laughs> <laughs> Not to denounce my efforts, but there's really only a handful of bloggers out there in all categories that are able to generate real revenue, like money that will pay your mortgage revenue mm. versus perks. Yeah. So I was in the stage where I was fabulous perks. I was an ambassador for Park City Ski Resort. I've been an ambassador for different appliance companies and and done some fun campaigns and and gotten paid for some and gotten perks for others but it wasn't going to pay the bills Mm -hmm. 
And and as I re- was looking at, at that space and, and really examining how much time I was spending, I, I had to really take a close evaluation because as passionately as I felt about this subject matter, the number of hours that I was spending on on what was essentially a little bit better than a hobby from a money standpoint, um, it didn't make it didn't add up, and so I had to really evaluate and go, "What am I going to do? I've built this wonderful platform, I love it, but I'm spending sixty hours a week on it, and I'm definitely not seeing a return financially on that time. Yeah, what do I do?" Do I turn this into a hobby and boil it down to where I'm spending 10 hours a week and I love it and, and that was one very valid option? Um, was I going to move into social media consulting and work with other brands and, and help them grow their brand and their business? That was another option. Um, or did I want to, to somehow turn Pure Natural Diva into a business? And after um, driving back and forth, actually, to my hometown of Vancouver, where you're from, with my children on a summer trip, (laughs) I listened to Tony Robbins there and back. Yes, I love Tony Robbins. Oh, my gosh. Love Tony. So I listened, and I thought while I was driving, while my kids were in the back seat, and was, like, really focused. That was the big the big question of the trip during all my <laughs> meditative driving hours. And thought about what I knew. I was And I kind of already knew I wanted to do something with Pure Natural Deep. That was the genesis. But what did I want to do? And thought about everything I knew about the natural business and the natural space and really honed in on the fact that the scented product world and the toxins that are pervasive in that world are not being that well addressed. And as I kind of ruminated, was like, I wonder if I could do something in that space. And I wonder if I could add something. Um, that's not being done. And that was really the seed of, of creating the Pure Natural Diva perfumes. And that's, so that's really what I did. So then I set out to, can I do this? And getting into the, the brass tacks and the nuts and bolts of, okay, if I'm going to do this, what needs to happen and, and how am I going to do it? Okay, so tell us a bit about the process of testing and designing the perfumes because I am not familiar with how you would create a perfume over like an essential oil over I don't know something else so I'm sure well I initially you know started got home from that trip and started researching like a mad woman um, learning everything I could about you know in the detail about making natural perfumes and really you know doing a um a master's class in perfumery, if you will, um, in a very, in, in short order. And I honestly, going into it, didn't know if I would be able to formulate the perfumes. Um, I was kind of, I was in that research phase, learning everything there was. I knew that conventional perfumeries would not know what to do with me and would not be able to do this. Um, and, I kind of, I kept researching. I created a list of potential people who I might uh, I might go to to create a formula. 
what I ultimately ended up doing was deciding that I had a good idea of what the scents would be in my mind in terms of I'm going to do a perfume. They're going to be all natural. They're not going to use any synthetic fragrances. And my company is Pure Natural Diva. So why don't I do Pure Natural and Diva as my first three scents? Mm-hmm. And by honing in there, I immediately had an idea that Pure should be fresh and and green and and youthful and vibrant mm-hmm. and natural should be should be you know a little bit more floral and like walking through a garden that has some roses and some citrus and just very alive and fresh yeah. and diva would be more sensual and alluring and like they automatically all it was like I had created pure natural diva to be the company it's become. <laughs> Even though when I started it in 2009, I had no idea. But it was really when I when I when the idea all came together, it was like, well, of course, if I'm going to do perfumes, I'm going to do Pure Natural and Diva. Yeah. So, because I had that target with the scents, it really led me to go. You know what? I'm going to see if I can create these scents because they were already in my head. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So so then it then the the first daunting step was I can invest resources in hiring people or I can start by investing resources and ordering a whole bunch of stuff. And that was the crazy step that I took. I ordered <laughs> the stuff. And by stuff, I'm not talking about going over to Whole Foods and buying like $30 worth of essential oil. I'm talking about, you know, finding the best natural materials suppliers on the internet and ordering thousands of dollars worth of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because to get what in perfumery, you create a perfumer's organ, and to create your organ of ingredients, you need a variety and you need enough material that you can work with and experiment with. Yeah. So, so that was the first, I was like, you know what, I'm going to make this investment and I'm going to see what happens. And so I did. And fortunately I was able to create something that not only do I love and, um, and I'm proud of, but so many people have just given such beautiful, amazing feedback uh, on the scents. And, you know, we've been written up now so many times. Mm-hmm. So it was, um, it's truly been a, a, an exciting, that was, you know, it was fun and affirming and scary and all those things at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And just as a shameless plug for those of you who are interested in knowing what the pure natural diva and you also have elixir, correct? I also have, Elixir was our happy accident. (laughs) It was one of, when I went to do the market research, um, which consisted of bringing groups of women together in various spots. I even did one in Utah. Um, And I had a survey that I had put together and just had people smell the seven or eight different options that I had boiled it Mm -hmm. down to for each scent to find out what, what their favorites were. And, um, elixir was initially not on the list, but everyone kept on asking me, I'm, 
I'm horribly honest in some ways. They're like, well, which is your favorite after they'd gone through the whole process? And I would be like, well, my favorite isn't in the group. <laughs> they'd be like, well, why not? And what happens is when you're formulating, you formulate for your scents. You know, you're formulating yeah. for what you what what smells great and all of those things. Um, but you're not calculating how much it will cost to make the formulas. Yeah. And I had a target that I was really hoping I could bring these perfumes in at a price point of under a hundred dollars. So once I had made all these formulas that were then the short list, I then had to price them out mm-hmm. and figure out how much it would cost me to produce them, which was a mad science project in and of itself. Yeah, but that's another that. story. So I went through um, all of this costing and discovered that Elixir was not going to be doable at that $100 price point. And so this is what I would share to the few people who would ask me this question. They'd be like, well, I want to smell it. So I would bring it out, and they'd be like, oh, that has to be in the line. <laughs> and they're like, just price it where it needs to be. If people love it, they'll buy it. And so I, I did. <laughs> I just took their, I took their feedback and... I differentiated the bottle from the other three bottles, and it's in the line, and it definitely, it's really interesting, because everyone has a favorite, and it's, it's um, you know, perfumes are so personal, so it's nice to yeah, have that absolutely. option for people. That's great. Um, what I was going to say is that if anybody is interested in uh, trying out the perfumes, I know you have like a smaller sample pack of the perfumes that you can order. Yes. To test them out, so I'm definitely yes. ordering one of those today. Not- <laughs> <laughs> um, they are available. They are sixteen dollars for the set, and then five fifty for shipping. So it comes out to twenty one fifty, and um, you get a sample of each one that you'll be about to test out for about five days, like you'd expect from a department store. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going to test them out, and then. Uh, say which one's my favorite in the pre-show discussions <laughs> when this is edited. <laughs> All right, so going back to the perfumes, um, can you tell us what's the difference between a botanical perfume versus just like a regular perfume? Okay, sure. So botanical perfumes are made using no synthetic scent chemicals. They're made with, our, per, our botanical perfumes are made with essential oils, resins, absolutes, tinctures and um and then blended together in an organic corn based alcohol um to create a perfume that you can then spray and atomize on your body like a normal quote-unquote normal perfume that you would find at a department store Hmm. conventional perfumes department store perfumes are largely formulated now with synthetic scent chemicals and they pull from an array of about six to 8,000 ingredients as their organ, if you will, um, depending on who you're talking to and, and what information you're looking at out there. Of those different chemicals, none of them are tested beyond their ability to irritate the skin. So the mm-hmm. test for their safety involves skin swatching, basically. Um, nothing on absorption nothing on on inhaling so when you're taking that many chemicals and mixing them together it's just 
it just is concerning to me that they don't go beyond whether it irritates your skin. And there's evidence that there's a lot more going on. There's a neurotoxin that's in a synthetic musk that's used in most perfumes that's been banned in Japan since the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And we use it in most of our perfumes here in North America. There's also um, phthalates that are, are suspected hormone disruptors and that are found in mother's breast milk um, right now, found in breast milk. And hormone disruptors are particularly alarming because they impact um, their damage is done most badly in children, in, in infants that don't have a defense system. And the effects of those those health risks don't show up until later in life. So you don't necessarily see that it's impacting the health and wellness of your children and other children. And this is information that came out of a study um, by the World Health Organization in, um, I think it was 2011. Don't quote me on the year. So going back to, that's the chemical side of what makes them different. From a wearability point of view, because we don't use those synthetic ingredients, you will notice it's definitely a different scent experience. It is beautiful, but it may not have that lasting um, effect. And it also doesn't have, which many, many wearers of botanical perfumes love, doesn't have the halo effect. You know what I mean by the halo effect? Uh, I know what the halo effect is, but I don't. In perfumery, I call the halo effect like when you walk into an elevator and there's no one there, but the perfume's still there. Oh, okay. Yes. I call that the halo (laughs) effect. Or when you like smell it and there's no one in sight, it's like that halo is like walking around behind you. (laughs) Um, And it's from, that is caused by by synthetic fragrance chemicals because a natural perfume will wear much closer to your body. So someone's going to have to get a little closer if they're going to get that smell. And not necessarily to, a bad thing. No, <laughs> I think that I, to me, it's a plus to yeah, me. It's a plus. Sure. But if you're, if people are expecting to get a full, full bodied aroma, that's going to have that same stain power as a conventional perfume, that's caused by chemicals, so they're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. What you do get is a nice scent that's going to linger on your skin, and like in the in Diva and Elixir, it's going to linger for a day, maybe even two. Um, it's going to wear close to your body and really have that sensual experience. And if you want a more prevalent perfume feel, then you would be reapplying it more often. Yeah. But um, but mo- many, many of our customers prefer the fact that they know they're not walking around with a halo. <laughs> That's so interesting. It makes me wonder, um, one thing that I've always been curious about just in having like a marketing background is with um, other like chemical-based perfumes for the higher-end designers, I wonder if their price points are actually higher to produce or if it's just People are like paying for the branding essentially. As well oh, as the scent. we can answer that. They're paying for the branding. <laughs> the yeah. cost to produce in um, in the instances of most perfumes, the when perfume not, like, itself down. is typically very, very, very low. Most brands spend well under ten percent of their of their. Um, of the product cost is actually on what they call in the perfume world the juice. 
Hmm. Um, we we spend a lot of money on our juice. Yeah, and especially because it's like handmade, right? And you're using like all natural products and oils and having to like source it and be really conscious of that as opposed to just like putting whatever to make it smell good in there. Right. Well, and think about it. If I'm using rose, they have to go out into the field, harvest rose petals, process the rose petals. So it's acres and acres and acres of roses just to distill a few ounces of rose essential oil. Mm-hmm. So the process is very labor-intensive to make these oils and then very um, very land-intensive to get these essential oils produced. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so it definitely is, a, uh, you know, which is why so many of the larger brands, you know, pull away. They can get a... They can get the smell of a rose at 2 o'clock on Tuesday, and they can then replicate that exact smell mm-hmm. in a laboratory. So from their perspective, why would they want to use a natural rose, which is going to vary a little bit from season to season? It's going to vary. Is it a wet year or a dry year? More like a wine, you know? Mm-hmm. But again, to me, that's one part of what makes the botanical perfume so beautiful is that it is going to evolve. It is going to change. It is going to be more like a wine and more special because of it. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I know you have, I can put a link below the podcast, but you talk a little bit more about um, what to expect when wearing a, a botanical perfume on your site. So yes. I'll just link that up below and how you compare it to being a fine wine. <laughs> It's the best example I can use to compare for people because people instantly understand that. Yeah, absolutely. But there is education because we've been trained, uh, you know, trained to expect smells to smell a certain way. Mm-hmm. And and come to find out that many of the things that we've been trained um, to smell or to think that this is what vanilla smells like are actually not what vanilla smells like, yeah. but what we think it smells like. Because when you get to the natural vanilla, it smells nothing like what we think it does. I, I am with you on that. But not from a perfume perspective, more so from just, um, you know how when you cook, you can purchase like artificial vanilla extract versus like vanilla bean extract? Mm-hmm. I was like blown away. I was just curious and I bought both of them recently. Um, and was just like, what? These are nothing alike at all, really. Right. And it's that um, kind of difference. Only we're in a society where our nose has really been trained. So when we smell that candle from or that lotion from Bath and Body Works and it smells like apples and cherries, we're like, ooh, and this smells so good. And then once you kind of detox your system from that, and you smell the same thing, you're like, oh my God, you can't, it's hard to smell it. Mm-hmm. After you've, untra- you know, retrained your nose, you're like, oh my gosh, that is so strong. You've got to sit, from- <laughs> you've got to sit on the other side of the room to someone that you really love. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't say it to a stranger, but, but you're thinking it in your head. Yeah. So <laughs> on that note, how did you come up with the safe sense campaign? Um, like, how did you come up with that idea in the first place and whatnot? <laughs> I don't even know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> it just came about one you, day. You know, I am, 
I do my business on my own. And so you sit there and you're coming up with different ways to can, to kind of get the message across. And a big part of my passion is education, clearly. Yeah. And um, I'm passionate about my products, but I'm also really passionate about educating people about this issue and about this this toxin that we're letting into our lives unwittingly and giving people a solution and so I am continually thinking about ways to get that message across and to compel people to make these changes because so often people hear the information and then they do the same thing they've been doing um so safe sense just was something that I I put out there on a on an I think it might have been an Instagram um, was the first time I used it and then people giggled and laughed I and commented <laughs> and when I posted on Facebook they did the same thing and I was like yeah always practice safe sense that's so funny I love and it seems like it's got legs so we will probably keep using it and it also just became like once people were resonating with it it became like such a great tagline for the end of my emails and 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 that kind of thing so now I just call myself the safe sense advocate I love it that's so great (laughs) um so after you produced these um perfumes and did all these testing groups when did you start initiating creating like bath body and skincare products or was I was sorry, sorry. I was going to say, or did you do that all at once? I was doing it to some extent all at once. I knew that bath and body was the natural extension to having a having a perfume line. That mm-hmm. that that would be. It also, from a business perspective, it is the more consumable. But also, as a lot of natural people have steered away from perfume, they've kept their bath and body care. So they may not be wearing perfume, but they're still wearing scented body products because they still want to smell good. Uh, so it's a it's an easier transition for people who have given up perfumes to buy a body lotion or buy a sugar scrub Mm -hmm. and then move into buying the perfume down the road as a you know a special occasion or as a gift item that they might request so I knew I had to had to develop it relatively um you know had to develop it in the process and then um having a discussion with someone who had been in the beauty industry who really highlighted that, you know, you needed those more consumable items to, to make the business viable and people were asking for it. So the names, you know, as, as I was developing the perfumes, I was already, you know, I had that, that note file and any, any entrepreneur um, needs a note file (laughs) for their ideas to go in a way that they can search it and keep track of it. I do everything digitally. I'm horrible with paper, but I like digital because then I can search it. So my note file for Bath and Body was there and elements that I wanted to to incorporate into the Bath and Body. And, And that conversation with that expert really kind of propelled me like, okay, let's do this now and sort of took, forced me to take all of my notes and put them together and and get down to brass tacks so I could bring it out for last fall. Mm, Awesome. So what have you found has been like the number one product in your line so far? 
It's so interesting because I go to a show and I look at kind of what sells and I'm there. So I'm seeing what's selling. It's really an assortment. Hmm. There are, there, there are a couple of highlights. Um, the sugar scrub is, is super, super popular. Our polished, our quench, um, everyday lotion is amazing and people love it. And for people who want a richer, uh, lotion the whipped is very very popular and then we've been selling our skincare at shows as well um it's not on the website yet but it's coming soon teaser <laughs> teaser alert um and in the skincare um the serum the serums have been extremely popular and the intensity lotion has probably been our our biggest seller at shows which is our richer antioxidant facial moisturizing cream. Oh, that sounds amazing. It's so good. People love it. I have people who are already just like, okay, my bottles, my jar, my jar is empty. I need another one, which is so affirming as a business, as a business owner, when, you know, you put this creativity out there and you package it and you bottle it. And then people love it enough that they have to have it stocked as a staple. It's a beautiful thing. That's great. Um, in terms of producing product and selling it, do you have any tips for small business owners or new entrepreneurs for marketing their products or services with a small budget? What has been like the best thing for your buck? Well, aside from going to shows, I don't have a marketing budget at this juncture. I still don't have a marketing budget at this juncture. So my 100% of the dollars I do spend are going to shows where I can then sell the product. Um, so that's definitely, bootstrapping is definitely the name of the game here. Yeah. And in that sense, social media is something that we all have access to. Most of the channels and the avenues to pursue those are completely free. As a product-based entrepreneur, the, the data indicates that Pinterest, Instagram, and um, are, the, are the top two performers, mm -hmm. with Polyvore and Wanello being up-and-comers and platforms to kind of be on the lookout for. So I would definitely encourage a small business owner to, to kind of get their branding message solid, which is something I know you're passionate about really have that, that great branding message and then make sure you, you know, you have a presence on all of those platforms and maybe pick one or two of them that you resonate with the most to focus on. You don't have to build all of the channels at one time, but I would encourage you to own your real estate in all of the channels immediately because you don't want another person coming and picking your name out of Twitter if you're not doing Twitter. So you want to have enough of a presence on channels like that that you own your name mm -hmm. and then in terms of like actually like the nitty-gritty of of like production and business you I think it's important that you figure out kind of how you can get to market in in and prove your concept as inexpensively as possible yeah. and um so that you, you know, you're limited, you have limited resources. So if there's a few different channels, this is probably 
I don't know if it was a mistake I made, but I invested heavily in the beautiful bottles that we use for our signature size perfume um, and imported them from France. And it is not my best seller. I sell much more body and skincare. Which is interesting, but it's also like the anchor of your brand, right? It's also so. the anchor of my brand. So it's a kind of a, you know, looking back at it, I'm like, did I need to make that investment? And I'm glad I made the investment because I do think it elevates the brand and because I am targeting a more a luxury price point by mm-hmm. nature, uh, or I like to call it an accessible luxury because it's really, if you're buying Jum alone, you can afford to buy Natural Diva. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't feel like you're just in looking at all of your stuff, like the price points aren't that much above getting, like, good quality products right. that are chemically based. Like, you know right. what I mean? Like, even with the perfumes, I mean, people easily pay $150 for a perfume that they like, and yours is 100 so... Yes, an elixir is one fifty. But yeah, yeah, no, I really wanted it to be an accessible, you know, in the range of where people were already paying. Um, and that's been, you know, that's challenging to make to make all of that happen. But you are absolutely that was a goal. For example, I make a sugar scrub, and my sugar scrub is less expensive per ounce than Fresh Cosmetics. Mm-hmm. which is a well-known brand, but they are not made using organic oils, they're not using organic sugar, and they're not using chemically free, chemical-free fragrancing. And I've had people definitely come up and go, well, it's a little expensive. And and I know those same people would buy the fresh, and it's, it's, it's definitely uh, perplexing as a business owner. Like, <laughs> you're getting organic... All the way across the board, you're getting such amazing quality, and and we do deliver amazing value in that quality. So, mm. but I, back to your original question because I digressed. <laughs> surprise, <laughs> surprise. The the question that I do sometimes ask myself, and I try not to spend any time there because it's done and I can't undo it. Is did I need to buy those perfume bottles that anchor my brand then? Yeah, okay. And and how many more dollars would I have had for marketing and for some other things had I not made that choice? And so I would encourage entrepreneurs that are looking at starting their business to kind of make make that proof of concept investment tighter and and really prove your concept because I could have proved the perfumes, I could have done a number of things and then added that anchor in. Yeah, and had it in the plan versus spending that money then and there, and it would have given me a little bit more flexibility, I think, in my earlier early days. Yeah, I now, I'm still early days, but you know what I mean. It's it's funny. Like I've heard from quite a few small business owners, like they almost have a fear of success, and it's like, well, what if I sell out of my product or like people order too many, you know what I mean? And it's like that's a good thing. That Great, you can you'll order, have a way to order list. more stuff, like. <laughs> <laughs> you know Great I mean. list. Yeah, which is funny. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, well, and as a new entrepreneur, when you're starting your business, you're trying to figure out projections in a sea of unknowns. Yeah, exactly. I know so, you really need like a baseline. Like it's hard to project um, before your first year is complete because you really like there's so many variables that could happen. So correct. But I digress as well. Um, just, I guess on that note, what has been 
your largest challenges in starting your own business? The largest challenge is definitely that being on your own in your business when you're when you're a solopreneur. If mm-hmm. hopefully that a term doesn't annoy anyone, no. but um, I have to do so much from you know I'm producing the products, labeling the products, shipping the products, going to shows, setting it up putting the tables into the car, loading the bins, you know, you know, it's, that is not glamorous work. We always joke when we're setting up at shows and by we, I mean me and the other vendors, uh, like, aren't we living the glamorous life? <laughs> Cause I think people have this perception that being an entrepreneur is going to be like, look at you, you're the one, you know, and yeah, it's like you so have all this much free time and just making all this money. <laughs> Right. So much of it is that nuts and bolts, like, you know, I up at two in the morning filling bottles of lotion because I don't have enough for the show I'm at tomorrow morning. And, and, you know, you have to get all those social media updates done and you have to, like, if I don't do it, it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely the biggest challenge and a challenge that I'm working on overcoming. (laughs) And, um, was uh, starting to put a small budget aside to delegate some of those tasks, which is another bridge because when you've been used to doing it all on your own, handing over areas of your business is also a challenge. But um, I would say that is is a big part of it. And it's also all-consuming right now. And I do have a husband and a family. And so trying to make sure that they are getting the, the attention that they deserve Mm-hmm. is is a big challenge and you know I fail at that as often as I succeed I I do do my very best though yeah I mean that's definitely a huge consideration too is just the importance of spending time with the people that are most important in your life mm-hmm. while trying to be an entrepreneur can be very challenging yes and the, I mean the plus side of that is I may be working a lot but I'm always there yeah. Unless I'm traveling, my children, even while I'm working, they have me in their space. Mm-hmm. And so they can they can come to me, they can get their needs met there, and I'm not gone, which may make it more challenging for me to get the actual work done, but is also, I think, great for them because they, they know that their mom is there. That's great. So would you say that that or that I'm sure as long, as well as some other things like what are some of the more rewarding parts of running your own company that's definitely you you're right going into that it is rewarding to be able to set you know I set my schedule when I I, I set when I work when I don't work how I work what I want to get done what I don't want to get done <laughs> Which is, you know, a beautiful thing if you've been having someone tell you where to go and when to do it and how to do it. Nice to be able to to make those roles. But on a bigger picture, it is really rewarding to feel passionately like building this business can make a difference in people's lives. Mm -hmm. Educating people on scent toxins can make a real difference in their health and wellness. And that building something that can be a legacy for my children if they want to to participate when they grow up, um, that it's bigger than just me, you know? 
Yeah, I mean... That's that's uh, amazing to me. Yeah, it's definitely one of the beautiful things about starting your own businesses, kind of creating your or turning your passion into something that is able to reward you with making money that's going to help refuel your passions and at the same time, like, really make a big change in the way that consumers are purchasing products in the world, especially for yes. product producers like yourself. So... Kudos to you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so this, this is about all the time that we have today. Um, I have one final question for you that I ask all of the interviewees. Um, so my final question is, what is your number one tip for others on how they can be more love note worthy in their business and life? I think you need to really, really, really focus on what your God-given gifts and talents are and figure out how to authentically bring those out in whatever you're pursuing. That's amazing. It's perfect. It's very concise <laughs> and easy and simple, but not easy at the same time. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, here you go. Just follow your God-given talents <laughs> and make it happen. Come on. But really, like... The process of doing that, of course, is what most people spend their 20s and 30s figuring out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but if you can really hone in on not taking those detours that get you off track, um, I think you'll you'll shortcut the process. And, and we all have talents that are just like, I didn't know I could perfume. Yeah. How would you know, like, before trying it? Right. And I didn't know that that truly, the fact that I've been able to do that, I, I believe that's truly a God-given talent and gift that I was given. And so those are, you know, when you can hone in on what those are, and sometimes you'll stumble across them by accident, and sometimes they're like little flashing lights, but when you get there, that's your, your, your magic zone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, Tanya. I really appreciate you being on the show today. Um, before we end, I want to give our audience a challenge, as I do after each of the podcasts. So today, um, I'm going to post some resources. Uh, so obviously, Pure Natural Diva, as well as a couple other companies that I'd highly recommend from a few of my friends that sell all-natural cosmetics and nail polishes and that sort of thing. But my challenge today for you... Uh, listeners, is to tell us below in the comments uh, what you're either going to give up out of your cosmetics bag or what you're going to get rid of and exchange for an all-natural alternative. So once you do that, then uh, we'll harass you about looking at Pure Natural Diva as well as a couple of the other sites that I will recommend for you. I love it. <laughs> and by the way, of course, listeners can find me um, at Pure Natural Diva all across the internet. Yeah. <laughs> if you like Instagram, I'm there. If you like Facebook, I'm over there too. <laughs> yeah, and definitely engage with Tanya. Like, she's amazing at um, following up and getting back to people very quickly via social media. But um, I will put all of her contact info again in the show notes below. And thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Love Noteworthy Podcast. Have an amazing day, everyone.